0: Alright, Grace Point, great to see you all here today. Uh, just, uh, just a congratulations for those of you who are here. You are, the, you are the survivors. You are the ones who have made it through the norovirus, uh, corona, whatever it is. Uh, last week we noticed as I'm looking out there, I'm, I'm seeing the number of people who were gone is because they're like, oh, oh, we have the stomach bug or whatever it is. And then I was just reading last night uh, some article about the norovirus and how they were estimating something like um, 85% of the population is going to get it. Isn't that encouraging? Uh, stomach bug. I uh, hate, hate this. Well, I'm glad that you guys are here, that you're, you're some of the survivors or the remaining ones who have yet to get it. Um, but glad that you're here. Listen, if this is your first time here, I just want to say welcome. Uh, one of the things that we just try to do here every every week with all of the events we do, whether it's the, uh, the upcoming Grand Prix that's going to be right up here on the stage, or the kids' ministry, or the Sunday morning is, is our goal. is just simply to inspire you to follow Jesus and help you take whatever the next steps are in your spiritual journey. Um, so t- today we're continuing our series on relationships. We called it a relationship rehab, and it's just it's tips and hacks. And, and, and just different tune-up things that we need for our relationships, specifically for marriage. But this is a, this is a series for people who are married, people who are unmarried. Um, if you're here today and you say, well, I'm not a follower of Christ, I'm not a Christian, uh, so this is not necessarily my thing, that's okay. The things that I'm going to talk about, we're talking about relationships and marriage from a Christian's perspective... But that doesn't mean that the principles won't apply to you in your life. So I hope that that you will be able to take some of these things um, with you um, as you go. And I think it will help you build successful and strong relationships. So um, today what I want to do is I'm going to talk a lot about what I've already talked about the last three weeks, and, and, and really what I'm, the reason why I'm bringing them all together is, you guys know what a flywheel is? I know that some, I'm looking over at Derek, do you know what a flywheel is? And he's like, oh yeah, he knows what a flywheel is. My, my fellow, um, you know, sort of mechanics, uh, they, they understand what it is, and if you grew up on a farm, you probably know what a flywheel is. Um, first time I really realized what a big flywheel, what a flywheel is, is it's, what it is, is it's, a, it's just a thing that's a part of like a motor that, it's kind of heavy. And it takes a long time to kind of turn it and to get it moving. But because of all the weight that, that carries it and keeps it going, once you get that motor running, even if it's sputtering, the weight of that wheel keeps the momentum running. And, and all the things that I'm going to talk about today, the things about um, in, in our relationships, these are the things that are sort of like the, the, the flywheel. It's the things that keeps our relationships going in a good direction even when our little spark plugs just kind of don't fire right and stutter a little bit. Um, so what I want to do to start with today is something I, I don't often do, but I want to go through the things that we talked about both last week and the previous two weeks. By the way, if you missed last week, you missed my wife coming up here. She was she was excellent to, to be on stage. We actually thought maybe we ought to do it again sometime, um, and uh, she would share more of our... Well, dirty laundry, I guess. <laughs> All of you. It's just things that we work through. We're just normal people just trying to learn how to get through just like you guys. But um, I just want to talk about some of the things that we did over the last three weeks. I'm going to try to give you a quick review, ten minutes or less, of some of the things that, that we have talked about. One of the things we mentioned is that having a good marriage, having a good relationship, it's kind of like a garden. Um, you, you, don't, you can't get an instant garden if anybody says hey come buy this it's an instant garden it, don't, don't trust that it, it's, it's not going to work like that having a good marriage is like tending a garden it's not going to grow overnight it's going to take a lot of time you've got to show a lot of attention to it because if you leave for like two or three weeks and you come back you'll find that although you've got nice nourishing soil it's nourishing for weeds too and, and because you aren't weeding, it's going to cause all kinds of problems. And, and see, the main thing that kills gardens, according to a passage we looked at a number of weeks ago in Proverbs twenty four thirty three, is, is this statement. It says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little of the folding of the hands to sleep, the idea of inattentiveness, laziness. In other words, if you don't give a garden the attention that it needs, it's just going to get overgrown. It's, those things are going to destroy your, your vegetables, your fruit, your all that. The same thing is true with every relationship. And you know, you know how that works. But that's the picture that Scripture gives us, that a good relationship is a lot like, um, like a, a healthy garden or tending a garden. One of the other things that we've said in the past is is, is Conflict. Every relationship has conflict. We only touched a little bit on it. We're going to talk in a number of weeks. We'll, we'll spend an entire session on conflict, on uh, communication and conflict. But, but whenever you have conflict with your spouse, you've got to remember one of Jesus' illustrations. He talked about um, how somebody else, you see somebody else with a splinter in their eye, and you're like, oh, let me, let me help you with that. But the problem is you've got a log in your own eye. And there's no way you can help somebody else when you got a log in your eye, they got a splinter in their eye. So to help them with the speck in their eye, you got to first remove the log in your own eye. So whatever the issue is that you're going through, you have to find the part of the problem that's your fault. And maybe you only feel like, well, my my fault is my part is only ten percent, okay. Well, then what you do is you ask for forgiveness. You say you're sorry for the 10%. And you come up front and you say, I'm I'm just going to focus on my part to begin with because I want to help us along. And that's really one of the the other, uh, I guess one of the other life hacks that own up to your own stuff. Do it quickly. Do it up front because that is going to help your relationship um, move on further. One of the the other things we said is um, one of the best studied statistics of Marriage and happy couples noted this, that couples that pray out loud together on a regular basis... Okay, so this is not just at the dinner table, you know, thanks for the biddles again, amen. This is more of you are actually praying and you're, 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 just, you're confessing, you're talking to the Lord with your spouse. So you're talking, you're praying for, for the things in your family, but you do that regularly. That one of the stats that they found out is that, that uh, for people who did this in their marriages, only uh, one out of 10,000 of those couples got divorced. That's a ninety-nine point, um, I think it's ninety-nine point nine five percent success rate of marriage. And so what we said is this: Listen, if you want to build a healthy relationship, start praying together, praying out loud together. Um, and, and also, one of the things I said is just sort of a byproduct. I just said this, is that, listen, the couples who pray together have a deeper sort of an intimacy level. But where that moves to is it moves to a deeper physical intimacy as, as well. And so I said, listen, pray with your spouse if you want to have a greater physical intimacy. I got some funny feedback after that. I, I actually, because of that, I, know, I know of one person who says, you know, okay... I want to approach my wife so that we would pray together. But I'm afraid that if I do that, she's going to think that the reason I'm coming is so that we can have greater physical intimacy. So, so, so let me just tell you all right now, you have my permission. Talk to your spouse and say, you know, Kyle said it. We should just be praying together. There's no mixed motives behind this whole thing, so just do it. Pray. That is, just pray together. (laughs) Alright? Just pray. I didn't plan on that. (laughs) And there's something within us that sometimes when it comes to praying out loud, there's this thing that some people have and they're like, "Mm, I don't want to be forced to pray out loud. I don't want to have to talk. Listen, listen. What is it that is motivating you? What is it that's making you hesitate towards pushing back from praying together. What is it that's doing that? You need to put your finger on whatever that is and try to figure that out. Because listen, praying out loud together, I, I think it's something that, that enhances your intimacy. Uh, it, it causes you to grow. And when you pray together, you, 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 you just grow. So that, that was another thing. Uh, we continue on in our series and we talked about everybody's hopes and dreams. We all have hopes and dreams. I had a box up here. And, and really, it's an empty box. Of, you can't call it a box full of hopes and dreams. It's an empty box because really, when you give that box to somebody else, you're hoping that they'll fill it. I've got all these hopes and dreams about what I think I want in life, and so I give it to you so you can fill all the hopes and dreams and see when you pass the box on to another person, what that box feels like to the other person is a box full of expectations. That this is what they expect of, of me. Uh, and so, instead of giving your spouse, your future spouse, your friend, whatever it is, this box of expectations, one of the things we said is that you've got to learn to give your box over to God, and and, and let Him fill your hopes and dreams and desires and, and all of that. And and instead, you've got to you have to decide then to give your spouse the kind of love that, that Jesus told us to give. And of course, we know the kind of love that Jesus gave us was unconditional love. You put the other person before yourself. You put you before me. And so the thing that, that I've done often is, is just to have you point to the person next to you, point to your spouse and just say, you're more important than me. And when it comes to your marriage, you have to say, we are more important than me. And it's this idea, we're going to talk more about this today, the idea of just serving. And last week I had Shea up here and we really just talked about our differences. We've got a lot of differences, differences in perspectives, differences in, in you know our 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 sleep patterns and how we work, how we choose to do things. You know, when I do the laundry, I do this big whole sweeping thing and try to get it all done. But she hates it because that it ends up that all this laundry is in our in our spare room. You know, there are waiting to be folded, and then it's just like it's overwhelming to her. She's like, well, this is too much. She likes to do it piecemeal. The problem with piecemeal is when you do just a little bit of this laundry, a little bit of that, you're Trying to figure out whose sock is this, and I got one clean sock; the other one's still in the hamper. We do it different ways. We have we have differences, but what we said is, don't let your differences divide you. God made men and women differently, on purpose, because He wants us to be complementary to one another. We are, we are meant to to fit perfectly together and whenever we follow God's principles um, the differences that we have with one another they're actually meant to be beneficial Uh, sometimes God we, we look at this and God has designed us in ways that kind of maybe rub us the wrong way but part of that is so that we would learn how to grow that we would learn how to love one another well these differences are beneficial for the relationship And then one of the last things I said last week is I was looking at 1 Peter 3, 7, which talks mainly to husbands. And it talks about husbands, how we are to live with our wives in an understanding way, giving honor to the wife. She's the weaker vessel. And you you do this and and you live with her in such a way so that your your prayers won't be hindered because if you don't honor her, you don't live with her in that way, um, when you pray, it's like it's going to hit the ceiling. You know, and, and the good thing for us is, listen, men, we don't, we don't have to understand women. We have to just try to, for, for our lifelong purpose, our lifelong process, we only have one woman we have to understand, and that is our wives. And so I said we're, we're commanded to be a student of our spouse. And we're commanded to honor them in that way. Now, all of this. I say all this, I review all of this because all of these principles, these habits, these, these life hacks, if you will, for a stronger relationship, they're, they're tools, they're ways to build your relationship in marriage. And how well you use these principles, and not just these, because there, there are hundreds of these kinds of things that we can talk about. There, there are thousands of principles in Scripture that we can use and we can apply to our relationships to, to marriage. But how well you you use them and understand them, this is what determines is in your marriage account, your relationship account. We all understand how a bank account works. All right? Most of us, when you look at when we look at our bank accounts, we wish there was more numbers. Well, on there, you know, and, and I was going to say less zeros, but maybe if there's lots and lots of zeros, maybe that's a good thing because it's, it's a different number up front. But we wish that we had more money in our account so we'd be able to do the things that we wish that we could do. And, and maybe some of you like I'd love to, to help other people more, whatever it is. But we all understand what an account is like and the kind of credit and the kind of uh, the money that it takes in order to to build an account. But I was just thinking about this. Um, so how many of you guys watched the Super Bowl last Sunday? Raise your hand if you watched the Super Bowl last Sunday. Okay, so I watched the Super Bowl, and I like um, I, I liked the game. It was a fun game, and I also try to watch some of the, the commercials. In the Super Bowl, there were two commercials put on by a group called um, He Gets Us. So the idea was Jesus Gets Us. Alright? And, and, and two of them, they're a little bit controversial to some people, I guess. Um, but one of their, you know, some of their slogans are, you know, Jesus, or like, hate is loud, Jesus love louder. Um, another, the, the hat there, it says, uh, Jesus didn't want us to act like adults. And then the commercial is great because you see these kids actually loving one another, getting along. You know, they're, like, they're colorblind. They, they, they haven't been taught all these other things. And, and, you know, Jesus did say that He wished that our faith would be like the faith of little children. So they're using this to try to generate conversations, right? And the amazing thing is that they have a store. You can go to the store because you can buy a T-shirt. You can get a sticker. You can, uh, you can get a, a hat. But see, the currency that they are asking for for payment... Um, is not money. It's not the dollar. The currency that they are asking for is kindness and compassion and love. So when you check out, when you go to check out, they say you could get a t-shirt, you can get a hat, you can get a sticker. When you check out, you select what you're going to do for payment. And so the payment is this. You are going to choose to comfort somebody who is hurting or you're going to go out of your way and and you're going to help somebody in need, or you're going to choose to love an enemy, or you're going to go and apologize to somebody for something that you've done, or you're going to um, forgive somebody because they had done something to you, or or maybe you're going to listen to somebody that you disagree with. This is how you pay for the t-shirt and the hat and the sticker. And so I went through it. and I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, and I, I went through this. This is how I'm going to pay. I'm going to follow through and I'm going to do this. See, the main reason I bring this up is we think of um, money as our main currency. It's not. We just use money to get things or to get places or, or to do that. You all have relational accounts. Everybody has a sort of a relationship account. With every friend you have, you have an account. okay, With, with your relationship with your, with your mate, with your family, your children, your brother, your sister, your, your, your parents. You have an account with all of these people. And see, when that relationship account is full, you have a good relationship with them. There is there is freedom, there is joy in life because of that relationship with them because you've got an account with them. But when your account with them is low, um, what you find out is that relationship is now strained. You don't have much trust for the other person or maybe you aren't able to be trusted much with that person because that account is now strained. And see, everything becomes much more difficult. Every one of us has a relationship where we know whatever that account was, we had an account, it was just fine between me and this person and then something happened. It all depleted. It got down very low and now we found out we didn't trust each other. We had problems. They had problems with us. And and for some of us, for some of these relationships, they have just crashed and burned. And we don't even know what happened to that, but we're like, yeah, we understand that. us under, We understand that there are these relational uh, accounts. And see, those of you who are married, you know that when you're married, there is a marriage account, right? And your marriage is the vortex, the, the center of your life. And it has the power to set the course of your life as a whole. However that marriage is, has the power to affect everything everything else in your life, whether it's your career, whether it's um, your friendships, uh, whether it's you know, where you live, how you live, all of that kind of stuff. And see, if everything around you is weak, if your career might not be going well, or maybe you've got some health issues, or you've got different circumstances that are hard, or, or maybe um, the, the amount of wealth that you have that you're really struggling, if everything around you is, is weak, but your marriage is strong, it, it doesn't really matter all the other things that are happening. You can actually move out into the world in strength. You can go out there and you, you can feel like, I'm strong because my marriage my marriage account is strong. I can go back. These other things are hard. Yes, it doesn't take it away. But you move out into the world in strength. But, but see, if everything out there in the world, everything around you is strong, but your marriage is weak, it doesn't matter what there is out there. You move out into the world in weakness. Because the core that marriage of where you're moving from, there are problems. That, that relational account is, is low. Your marriage is the center. It's the vortex. If you neglect it, you end up losing everything. And you, you, you've talked. We've all talked with people who, who have had relationships like this and they feel like they have lost everything. They had to start kind of all over again. It was, just, it was tragic. It was, it was harmful. It, it was painful. And maybe some of you here, you, you would say, yeah, I, I was there. I've done that, and see the main currency for building up your marriage account. You could probably guess it's not really difficult to figure out, but but it's but it's love, and we look at love, and we love is sort of this big big sort of umbrella, I guess you would say. But but there are things in like um, honor and kindness and serving and listening and understanding. All of these things fit under this category of of, of love. And the greatest currency we have access to, because we all have access to this, it's based on love. It's based on these things, based on love and trust and kindness and all this, but, but see, what it looks like in action. See, we think of love and you know, we think of this ethereal, intangible ideas about what, it, but what love looks like in action is serving one another. Good strong relationships are built on this economy of love. And when the Bible speaks of love, what it does is it measures it by how much you're willing to give yourself to another person. That's the measure of love. It's not, you know, oh, I, I made a card for them or I gave them some money or I helped them out or whatever. It's not that. It's, it's really how much are you willing to give yourself to another person? This is why when we talk about marriage, this is such a huge deal. Because what you're saying you're going to do is you're going to give all of yourself to another person. Which is a pretty huge deal. So so how much are you willing to lose for the sake of this other person? How much freedom... Are you willing to lose for the sake of the person? How much of your own um, interests? How much of your your finances? uh, How much freedom are you going to relinquish? How much time? How much resources? How much of your emotion are you willing to invest? Are you going to invest it all? Or are you just going to say, yeah, I'll just give you like a portion? You can take about 20%. I reserve the rest for myself. See, the Bible, when it speaks of love, it measures it by how much you're willing to give. It's not about it's not about like how much you actually gave. It's how much of yourself you're willing to give. And see, this is very different from consumer relationships. Uh, we we all understand what a what a consumer relationship is. Um, a consumer relationship it only lasts as as long as the vendor meets your needs at a cost that you're willing to pay. So you go, you're going you're gonna to spend... So you want this thing, this product, this experience, whatever it is. And you say, I like that. I'm willing to pay X amount. And so now you have a consumer relationship with this company, with this person, with this entity, whatever it is. You're buying food, you're whatever, and you're willing to pay that. And now you have this consumer relationship. Hi, thank you very much. Or, or, or maybe maybe you do business with a person and you continue to build sort of that relationship. But But see... If another vendor comes along with a better type of services, or maybe it's the same services, but it's for a better cost, you don't have any obligation to have to stay in the relationship with that original vendor. You can just cut that relationship off, no big deal, and you just join the other relationship. That is a consumer-based relationship. In a consumer relationship, your needs are more important... Than the relationship so so think about that, because in our culture today there there has just been a shift on relationships, shift on the meaning of marriage, a shift on all of this stuff, even even family. Issues, you know, parents with children, all that. It has been a movement towards consumer base. And therefore, if you don't fit the needs of whatever I have, then, well, we can cut it off because it's just a consumer. I'm just, I'm here for me. I'm not here for you. That's really the difference there. And see, when you get married, what God calls this kind of relationship is He calls it a covenant. Relationship. And when you have a covenant relationship, a number of things happen. The first thing is that you have an area of safety, you have an area of security and freedom where you can finally be yourself. What do I mean by that? In a consumer based relationship, you're always marketing, okay? You're always trying to be competitive. You're always trying to be attractive uh, or else if you're not attractive enough, you're, you're out. Okay, If you don't advertise enough and get enough people, to come you, you're not making the money, all that stuff, then you've got a problem. Well, the same thing, if you take that mindset to relationships and, and you know, you're building consumer based relationships like as friendships or whatever, um, you've got to perform and try to meet the person's need and you've got to keep up the facade or else it's bye-bye. Uh, I'm, I'm not interested anymore because you don't look as good to me as what I thought you were. Well, see, in a marriage, what you can do is you just, you can take off that mask and you can just put it away. And what you do in a marriage is you let the other person see you for who you are and, and you let them know about your insecurities. Um, you let them know, you know, about the different things you think and feel. And, and what happens is you don't have to market yourself anymore. You don't market yourself to your spouse. Why? Because you're in a covenant relationship. It's it's not about only how I feel now. If you don't go up to the to the altar for for marriage and say, oh, "Well, I love you now. I'm not sure what I'll feel later. We'll, we'll decide how we go later." But it's, "I love you, and I promise to love you." It's about future love and future service, no matter what. That's what the covenant is. And that's what makes a marriage unique, different than friendships, even. You know, family's a little bit different as well. But see, it is absolutely imperative that you invest in this marriage account. And those of you who are married, you understand this. When two people get married, These relational principles, the one, these life hacks, if you want to call them that, whatever I call them, they're basically they're just the outworking of love. So you say, well, I'm committing everything I have to you, everything I have, everything I will have. I'm telling you, I'm not going to neglect our garden. I'll do my best to weed it. I'll do my best to plant it, to fertilize it, to care for it. I'm going to do my best with our garden. I'm going to do my best to notice the log in my own eye first before I try to point out the one that's in yours, before I try fishing around looking, do you have a speck in your eye? I'm going to look and say, well, do I have a log in my eye? I want to take that first. I want, to, I want to pray with you. I'm going to do my best to try to just pray with you, even if my prayers are awkward and they're not eloquent. And I'm just going to pray to God with you. I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to turn to God with you. I'm going to ask God to fill my box. So that you don't feel obligated, that you're the one that I'm leaning on you to fill all of my hopes and dreams and expectations. I'm gonna ask God to do that. And I'm gonna try to treat you as more important than myself. I'm gonna be a student. I'm gonna try to study you and learn about you and what makes you laugh and what makes you what makes you feel upset and, and how you communicate so that I can understand you because you and I, we speak a different language. My wife, she speaks womanese. Yeah, but you know what? I'm a study. I'm a study of womanese. Of ease, if you will. It's not easy at times. And she is a study of Kyles. But, but see, I'm going to be a student. I'm going to learn. I'm going to understand. I'm going to appreciate the ways where you're different than me. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to value you. See, all of these kinds of um, principles, these life hacks for relationships, these principles, they fit under a broad category of relationship currency. And, And that defines how we're supposed to relate to one another within the church, within our marriages. But the Apostle Paul, he wrote to the church in Galatia, and this is what he summarized what this looks like. He says, "...for you were called to freedom, brothers..." only, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Serve one another. This word serve, it's a Greek word. It's funny because growing up, uh, not growing up, but uh, in the Air Force, my pastor, he would teach me these Greek words from time to time, and he taught me this word doulos, doulomai, and, and the word doulos just simply means bond servant, bond slave. And when you look it up and you try to study this out in scripture, what you find is, is there is a way that if you were um, if you were not great at managing your own affairs, or maybe you had a catastrophe happen, you could sell yourself into servanthood under somebody else, and you could do that for a period of up to seven years and you would serve them and, and they would take care of all of your needs and then after that seven years you're, you're free to go out and, and to continue to live life it's, almost, it's very similar to enlisting in the military you sign your life for four years sometimes you sign your life for six years they own you for that period of time right? but they're paying you you know, you get, you get your food and clothes and all that kind of stuff. They give you a paycheck, all of that. Well, this is very similar. But see, after that seventh year period of time, what the person could do is they could say, you know what? When I have been serving my master, if you want to call them that, my employee, whatever you want to call it back in the time, I've been serving them, and I've had it far better off than I ever had it anywhere else. I think I'm going to just do this for the rest of my life and they could go forward and they could say I want to be a bond servant. I want to be a bond slave of you. And what they would do is they would take you over to the side of the door and they would take a nice sharp you know, you know, sticky, you know, pen, whatever, and they would take your ear and they would go poop and they would push it through at the door and they would stick a golden earring or whatever it was in your ear. And now you had this earring and it was a mark. And when you went out to the market and you did things out in society, people would look at that and they would say, You've got an earring on. What that means is you decided to become a bond slave. Nobody forced you to do this. And what it really does is it gives a um it increases the reputation of the person that you were the bond slave of. So if Frank was the guy who you decided to become a bond everybody would be thinking, wow, Frank must be a really great guy because this guy decided he was going to be a bond slave. Well, this is the term. When Paul says, through love, serve one another, this is the word, do loss. be a slave of one another. Paul tells Christians... Because Jesus humbled Himself, Jesus became a servant. Okay? He met our needs even at the cost of His own life. And so now, He says, I want you to be servants as well. Not just servants of God. I want you to serve one another. And He's talking to the church. He's talking to us. All of us here. He's speaking within the church. And see, a servant puts somebody else's needs above his own, ahead of his own. So this is how believers are supposed to be toward each other. And see, here's the thing. If, if this is how the church is meant to be with one another, how much more intentional should husbands and wives be in having this attitude toward each other? And see, this is just simply living out the gospel. And it's applying the gospel to our, to our daily lives with the people that we're closest to. And see, the problem that we have with this is that, well, you're selfish. <laughs> I'm selfish. This is the problem. It's the self-centeredness. 2 um, Corinthians 5.15, l- listen to this. It says, "...and He died for all..." That's referring to Jesus. "...that those who live should live no longer for themselves." but for Him who died for them and rose again. This is the essence of sin according to the Bible. Living for yourself. Because Jesus died and He rose again, now we're called to do something radical and different. No longer live for yourself, but you live for, for Him who died and rose again. And see, any two people who entered into marriage, we all know that we are spiritually broken by sin, which what that means is that we are are self-centered. I am self-centered, you are self-centered. And see, in our culture, the way that this sort of plays out, um, just really practically... Is, is this, uh, you, you're attracted to you know a person, a, a man, a woman, you end up getting married to the other person, and really at the time, you think that they are really wonderful. You think he is wonderful, you think she is wonderful. But see, then after a short period of time, three things start to happen. The very first thing you realize is how selfish this wonderful person is. And you're and this person is selfish. And see, the second thing that happens is this. Your spouse begins to tell you how selfish you are. How dare they? And then the third thing that happens is this. And while you acknowledge, yes, I can be selfish at times, but I conclude that my spouse's selfishness is much worse than mine. This is how it works. And then at this point, what many people try to do as they try to negotiate how the other person must change if we're going to keep them around because they're selfish and we don't like what they do and all that stuff to see what God wants every Christian to do is to see their own selfishness as the main part of the problem look at your own selfishness he wants us to treat it more seriously than the selfishness in our spouse Remember this this is the principle, the, the, the speck in the eye, the log in the eye. Treat your own first. Treat it as the larger, the bigger issue of the problem instead of looking at their issue and treating that, you know, trying to loop that up. Decide that you're gonna serve your spouse. So so Galatians five said that when when Christ died for us, we inherited freedom. And yet Jesus calls us to serve. He, he wants us to be a, a bond slave. Why? Well, it's, it's because He's given us everything that we need. It's because He has given us everything. When we come to understand what Jesus Christ has given us, what we will find is that we will be able to live out of an emotional wealth. We're not going to live out of a depletion we're going to find that He has filled us up. He has given us everything that we need. And so therefore, whenever we rightly understand we can appropriate Jesus' love in our lives, what that means is that we are then able to love other people out of a sense of fullness, out of a sense of emotional wealth. This is not me just kind of drumming up my own energy saying, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do this to be good because people are going to like me. and all." It's none of that at all. It's because of what Jesus did. You realize it, you understand it, and all of a sudden you're full. And you're like, I've got to give this stuff to other people. And see, when you're not experiencing this kind of emotional wealth, what we do is we turn back to living for ourselves, protecting ourselves, storing things up for ourselves. We we put up a little force field. We keep other people out because it's all about ourselves. Why? Well, it goes back to that very very thing that we live for ourselves. That that's the, the problem with sin. And see, when we love and we serve our spouse... We do all these kinds of things that I've been talking about in, in marriage. The level of credits in our relation, our relationship account, it just kind of rises. It goes up and it goes up and it goes up. But see, every day there's all kinds of things that happen that deplete your account. And you're wondering, where are all these things? I'm constantly pouring into this relationship account, but where does it all go? Because it just seeps out one place or another place, and it's just life. Every day there are all kinds of these small little withdrawals that we're seeing kind of go out of our account. And sometimes there are very rather large withdrawals that, that drain your account. And sometimes it happens just when you're grumpy. That you're grumpy and, and, and all of a sudden your spouse sees how grumpy you are and, and you're, it, just, it just drains right out of your account. All the things that were good yesterday, well, things kind of drained out. It de- depleted it. Sometimes you say something and it was the absolute wrong thing to say, depletion goes right out. Withdrawal. Or sometimes it's just you're being selfish, or you just choose to do the wrong thing, or maybe it's a big deal, and you do something really that's just whatever, mean or crummy or whatever it is. Sometimes it comes from a misunderstanding. You do things, and it's just because I spoke Kylie's, and Shay spoke Shays, and we didn't understand, and because of that misunderstanding, our account was depleted. It happens. It happens all the time. Yesterday, Shay and I, I've told you that, listen, if you're a pastor and you ever preach on marriage, prepare. Because we're going through all kinds of fun stuff because of it. And and so yesterday, Shay and I weren't exactly resonating well together. And later we're talking and we're trying to talk things out. And she said something that summarized it very well. And this is not meant to be Um, It's not meant to reflect on her, but she summarized kind of how we're doing it. She says, you know that voice in the back of your head that tells you not to say something? Yeah, I wasn't listening to it. That's what she said. I'm like, you're right. You weren't listening to that voice. (laughs) Neither was I. And so you've got to be faithful. You've got to make deposits in your account. But you can only make a deposit if you have actually something to give to it. You can't just drum it out of nowhere. And there are times where your spouse and your friends, they need you to give them the benefit of the doubt. There are times when you need to forgive them for for something that they did or love them. When you don't feel like it and you you need to love them, and see, you can only do that if you have enough in your own sort of personal account to, to cover that. And if you're relying on yourself to generate this, you're going to run out very, very quickly. So the question is, where do you get the power to serve? If God is calling us and He's saying, listen, I want you to be a doulos, I want you to serve, where do you get the power to serve other people? Where do you get the power to serve your spouse when they're not acting in a way where it's easy to serve them? Because they don't. I don't. I don't always act a way that is easy for, for Shea to serve me, to respond well. And see, the most wonderful thing is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is that you have a couple of things. You have an unbreakable relationship with God. And you have access to the gospel, the good news. And see, this is what allows you to be generous, even, even when you're not getting the kind of affection that you think that you deserve. Even when you're not getting the things that you feel like you need at the moment. You know, Romans 5 5 says this. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. One of the things the Holy Spirit does in the life of every believer is he continually points us to Jesus. Look to Jesus and look at what he's done. You've had a long, hard day, you know you could bless your spouse. But see, that self-centered part of you that's like, I don't want to do it. I want to do my own thing. I only have so much time. I want to do the time for me. And see, what the Holy Spirit reminds you, He says, look to the cross. You know, on the cross, Jesus Christ, He he didn't please Himself. He did what He did out of love for you. And So uh, when you want to have the upper hand in marriage and you want to, you know when you want to kind of be the one that you know does whatever, takes control, all that kind of stuff, he reminds you that when Jesus came into the world, He didn't hold on to His superiority. He emptied Himself. He emptied Himself of His glory. He served instead, even to the point of dying for us. You know, Ephesians 5.18, it it commands us, it says, you should be filled by the Spirit. Being filled by the Spirit simply is just a, a way of saying that you let God control you, you be in awe of the things that God has done, you let Him have that, that control, that um, being overwhelmed by Him, and you know, when you focus on Him and you do that, then as you go on into the rest of your life, your motivations will be different. They'll, they'll be, you'll, you'll have His Spirit fill you, drive you, control you. He's the one that's going to empower you. Um, you know, this empowerment for, for how we serve each other, for how husbands and wives serve each other. It comes from the Holy Spirit working in you. It comes from the love of Christ that He poured out upon us. And see, He's always the Spirit is always pointing us back to the Gospel. So when you're having a difficult time with your spouse or even with a friend or, or a family member, you, know, you may say, well, I, I love them, but I don't really like them right now. What you remember is this, that the Holy Spirit is going to point you back to Jesus Christ. And He's going to be your inspiration. He's going to be your direction. He's going to give you the power. He's going to give you the motivation. And sometimes you just have to speak to your heart. So you think about what Jesus did for you before you were able to serve, before you were able to serve your spouse with love. You go back and you say, okay, what is it that He did for me? And see, when that happens, you think about what Jesus saw. So imagine Jesus is on the cross. And He looks down. He looks down to the cross, and we looked down for the cross, he didn't think, "I'm offering myself for them because they are so attractive to me." No. When he's in the cross, he was in agony. And he looked down at us as we denied him, as we abandoned him, as we betrayed him, and in the greatest act of history. You know what Jesus did while he was on the cross? He stayed. He stayed. He could have gotten down. He could have called down power from on high and annihilated everybody. But you know what he did? He stayed and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And see, he loved us not because we were lovely to him, but he loved us so that he could make us lovely. See, for some of you, you, this is what you need to hear. But see, because Jesus stayed, you have to stay. That, that you have to say, I'm I'm going to do this, not so, not because they're lovely, because God will make them lovely. And see, this is where you find, this is where you find the power to be a servant to other people. This is where you find the power um, to be a servant to your mate. But you've got to speak to your heart and you say, What did Christ do for me? And you let that fill you up. And when that fills you up, now you have the resources to go out and say, "Okay, I'm called to be a doula. I'm called to serve. Called to serve the other person." And see, only then will you operate out of fullness instead of need. Only then will you be able to continue to deposit that bank account that you've got. So this is this is my question for you: Will you commit to serve your spouse? Will you make a commitment to serve those friends and those relationships around you? Will you make a commitment to serve in your church? Because He's calling all of us. We're called to serve one another out of a heart of love. And this is our commandment as we go today. Everything we've heard, it comes down to one word. Serve. Will you serve one another? Hey, okay, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, as I uh, look out at our congregation, and we've got people who are married and single. We've got people who um, they have been married and had a hard time, and, and maybe their marriage didn't make it, and I pray that You would heal them. I pray for those who might be going through a hard time right now, and nobody knows, just just them. And I just ask that you would help them to take these principles and these truths to heart, but really the main thing, that they would look unto Jesus and say, well, what is it that Jesus did for us in order to give us the ability to love one another well? Because that's what's going to to enable them to do it. I pray that that you would continue to show them how you have poured your love out in their heart so that they would be able to serve one another out of love. And I pray that as we move forward that our relationships, our marriages, our church would be stronger for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming, Grace Point. I look forward to seeing you next week. Next week we have a little bit of a change. We're going to be talking about building some strong families, but we also have a time. This is Pastor Tim's last Sunday up here. We're going to have a few special things. and uh, So I hope to see you then. So, see you next week. Have a great week.